Welcome to this week's edition of the NinersNation.com Better Rivals Podcast. It is a win Wednesday. Unfortunately, though, a plague has befallen the podcast. Jared is sick and I have a sinus infection. That is not my normal sexy voice. Uh, although my dulcet tones are going to be fantastic this episode, I can tell you that. Uh, so this week, stepping right through that chocolate door, filling in for one <laughs> Mr. Jared, it's uh, David Newman. David, how you doing? What's up, man? Been a little bit. It has been a little bit. Out of practice a little bit. Putting these headphones on, sitting in front of the mic. It's yeah. a little weird. Uh, they let you out of your maction hole uh, for a free night. Oh, thank God that shit's over with. <laughs> college football weeknight games are going to be the death of me. Uh, which is better, college football weeknight games or D2 college football special teams? Man, not about the special teams life anymore. <laughs> Graduated from the special teams life. I ain't... I ain't even here to try to watch special teams plays at all. Oh, man. Yeah, it's, uh, I still miss those clips. Moving up in the world. I, I mean, don't it. get me wrong. College special teams is uh, hilarious because they're all bad. None of them are terrible. terrible. Like, none of them. If, if you think, like, how bad college quarterbacks are in general and then, like, <laughs> say we're going to do something even more specialized than that, like, it's just terrible. There's no good ones. So before we get into the 49ers win, we're going to first talk about a little bit of beer and what it is that we're drinking, because not even nasal infections are going to get me down from uh, feeling from itching this scratch. Uh, but we actually have a uh, it, actually a special beer from one Mr. Jeffrey McCauley. He is at Go Gators 328 on the interwebs. Uh, he was so nice as to send us a couple of, uh, of double IPAs, actually, from Treehouse Brewing Company out in Massachusetts. So uh, David and I are going to crack these on the show. Uh, it is a full tall boy of a double IPA. So this is going to get interesting. Uh, 8.2% solid. Yeah. 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 We'll edit out the slurring later. Uh, <laughs> but uh, That's not true. You guys know that's not true. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, you know, that's not true at all. Uh, but here we go. Uh, we're going to have a beer. We're going to talk about a win. It's a win Wednesday. David, welcome back. Uh, here we go. Got her on my face. Oh, my God. So much condensation. I can barely open it. <laughs> All right, so the 49ers win. Uh, they defeated the Broncos 20-14. to 14. The first half was a completely different story than the second half. The 49ers had nine plays of 10 or more yards in the first half. George Kittle racked up 210 yards in the first half alone. Then in the second half, we officially went on elegant tank alert all the way through to the victory formation. Have you ever seen somebody screw up the victory formation, David? Oh, no, can't say that I have. That's a pretty simple one. Yeah, I actually turned the game off when we got the first down uh, and switched it to another game. And then my Twitter feed started blowing up with, oh, my God, we can't even get the victory formation right. And I was like, oh, dear God, what happened? Uh, luckily, by the time I changed it back. I mean, at least they didn't fumble. Like, yeah, you that's know, what I thought it, At least it wasn't like catastrophic. Like, I thought it was a fumble, but luckily it was not. But that left us with the question, of course, what was behind the kind of tale of two halves? Because, yes, this was a game where the line was just four, four and a half points. Um, and it was a team, the Denver Broncos, that had beat the Chargers and the Steelers and were vying for perhaps an unlikely, but we're still vying for a playoff spot. So let's talk about what the hell happened in the first and second half, because I think it goes to show a little bit of everything that's been kind of nibbling at the 49ers and keeping them you know, not to the degree that they could have uh, flown to, to to win some games. Definitely. I think offensively, you start with you're throwing the ball to George Kittle, who uh, happens to be pretty good with the football in his hands, it turns out. So, uh, I, I mean, I think, yeah, they just didn't have an answer for him, even on the times that they managed to actually get somebody near him, uh, which wasn't always the case, right? They had uh, kind of some blown coverages a, a couple times to let him really wide open, which it seems like 
on this particular offense, if there's one guy that you're going to kind of pay a little bit of attention to right now, it's it's George Kittle. So I think, uh, yeah, I mean, offensively, you're getting the ball in the hands of right now your best playmaker, uh, getting him the ball in in a lot of space at times and, and kind of letting him do his thing. Right. And that's really going to help you out offensively when you can generate those sort of explosive plays, especially because we know right now with this offense where it's at and Nick Mullins at quarterback, you're, you're not really. Uh, dinking and dunking your way down the field, right? And kind of sustaining these long drives very consistently. It's going to help you out, get points on the board when you can generate those big plays like that. So I think that was the big thing offensively. Other side of the ball, you looked at them being, I think, a little bit more aggressive than what they've shown at times. And this was great. This is exactly what I wanted to see from Robert Sala because the opening game plan was incredibly strong. You knew coming in, the Broncos' weakness was in their passing game. Corlin Sutton, not the scariest primary threat at wide receiver. Uh, other receivers, Tim Patrick, Deshaun Hamilton, had a combined three receptions coming into the game. So this is just, you know, the elite of the elite. We don't even have great names to to really pick at here. This was just a wide receiving core that was undermanned. And so what do teams do when they're facing an undermanned wide receiver core and a quarterback that you kind of want to dare them to beat you? And that's where Case Keenum is right now. He played out of his mind in 2017, but now he's back to Case Keenum. And the Niners have seen this game plan over and over and over again. You send pressure and you man up on the wide receivers. And that's exactly what Robert Sala did over the course of the game. And especially early on in the first quarter, it paid remarkable dividends. Right. I think that was early on in the game. It was very obvious. I mean, it was man coverage, basically the entire first quarter of the game. Um, And early on, yeah, they were just showing a little bit more aggressive looks, right? Getting guys up on the line of scrimmage in terms of your defensive backs and and kind of uh, keeping guys. I mean, it, it sounds so simple, right? But like the the goal of coverage is to have your defenders near the receivers when they try to catch the ball, right? Simple enough. Uh, it's easier to do that for man coverage, right? Especially when you're not, uh, and, and it's tough. I mean, the 49ers secondary right now uh, might be at a talent discrepancy like with just about anybody in the league, but like you mentioned, this is about as good a Not matchup the Broncos. Uh, as, as you really could uh, could look for there. And so it makes sense when you're not worried about getting roasted every snap because the guy <laughs> across from you is just a lot better player. Uh, man coverage makes a lot of sense because you're you're at least forcing the quarterback to make tougher throws. Right. It's it's uh, when you break down in zone coverage and, and you have or even if you're just not getting guys to locate receivers and kind of be in the vicinity and you're allowing them to make open throws, uh, it doesn't take a good quarterback to make those throws, right? Uh, and so I think when you can play man and get guys nearby the receivers and at least force the a, a guy like Case Keenum, who's not very good, especially when the talent around him is not great, to to make those kind of difficult, accurate throws into to tight coverage or tighter coverage, uh, that's not going to go so well for that opposing offense, and that's kind of what we saw in the first half. Robert Sala went cover one on Denver's first five pass plays, all in the first quarter. So they came out super aggressive, and they were playing up on the line of scrimmage, and it paid dividends. In the first half, Keenum had 17 attempts, and only four of those passes were to open receivers. Now, in the second half, the defense shifted a little bit, and the Niners went back to the defense that they've been playing more often, which is a bit more zone-based. Uh, and over the last three quarters, they played only 21% man after, of course, starting out almost exclusively in man coverage on their first five passing plays. And, of course, once Keenum had bigger windows to throw into, he was more successful. 60% of Keenum's throws were to open receivers in the second half. And, and if you were to take his stats over the course of the game, you, you look at 17 for 22 for 149 and a touch 
uh, a touchdown when he was throwing to open receivers. So really the tale of two halves was the, the tale of two coverages. And when you gave Keenum tight windows to throw into, he was hesitant and he wasn't able to complete as many passes as when you were playing zone and spot dropping at times, giving him bigger windows and he was able to complete more passes. Yeah, and just to kind of illustrate the other side of that, right? Uh, um, so looking at the receiver separation, right? How much something that we do for every every play when he's, again, you mentioned the open numbers, but the other side of that coin, when he's throwing to tight coverage or closing coverage, so you have like a defender uh, that, that is closing that space, usually arriving around the same time that the ball is, only seven of 18 for 37 yards in those situations. So obviously it makes sense that, you know, when you have guys closer by, you're going to have less passing production in those situations. Um, but I think it just illustrates, especially with a quarterback like Keenum, you know, sometimes you're going to see those better quarterbacks, even when you have the tight coverage, uh, they're still able to make those throws and the offense is still productive because the, the ball location that they can place it away from the defender and, and they're not as phased by those things. Um, guys like Keenum, not exactly their forte, right? You want to give them the easier throws. And so that's what, Denver in the second half was able to kind of manufacture is they just had a lot more of those throws, you know, again, going from something like 20, I think it was like 28, 29% of his throws uh, were, were to open receivers in the first half, basically doubling that to 60% uh, in the second half. That's, that's a huge thing for your passing game. And that was why we saw them be more productive. Two things. One, this beer is fucking delicious. Yeah, pretty it's good. A, it's really good. Into Holy it. Hell. Yeah, super. So I'm, far, we're still alive too. So, I mean... Yeah, did not, not didn't die of inadvertent male poisoning. Yeah, which is which is always a, a positive sight. Uh, but the second question I think is is really about Robert Sala. Do, do you think that Robert Sala, let's say that the Niners were to get you know phenomenal talent uh, somehow over the course of the next year or two, do you think that overall the types of defenses that Robert Sala will call will change, or do you think that he is a first zone guy that mixes up with man as opposed to really playing to his talent? You know, I, I um, would it, obviously it's tough to say, right? We right. Don't, we don't know what it complete it, uh, what it what it looks like. He's with good never players. been a defensive coordinator <laughs> with good players. <laughs> um, so so yeah, it's tough to imagine that at the moment. Um, I think you know I would like to think he seems to be a smart guy. Um, we he have does seen. Play chess. Uh, I, I do think we've seen their coverages evolve a little bit over the course of the season. It hasn't been necessarily drastic. Uh, and again, they're not working with the best pieces right now defensively, especially in the secondary. Um, I do think there's maybe an element of not wanting to throw too much uh, at these guys because they, they right now they're just struggling. I mean, we're seeing them over the course of most of this year struggle with basic alignment and communication and, and just having the number of busts that they've had on the back end. Like all these kind of more basic things have been problems. So I can understand not wanting to throw more complex coverages at them. Um, but again, it, it, it sounds very basic, but if your coverages aren't designed to get defenders near receivers like there's a problem. And that's kind of the issue with spot drop, right? Is it's I'm more defending this general area and hoping that I can kind of work my way into these passing lanes uh, and, and kind of, you know, read the quarterback and break on the ball when it's thrown. And, and it just doesn't work. Like offenses are too good at, at kind of picking apart these basic zone coverages. You need guys that are that are kind of turning and more looking diagnosing the the route concept, right? You want their eyes as opposed to being on the quarterback dropping back eyes on the receivers, locating guys that are coming into their zone so they can be in position to kind of defend those. You're going to be a lot better off. 
you see him do it every once in a while, but it's certainly not near enough to where, where it needs to be. I mean, if anybody knows on the opposite end, you would think Kyle Shanahan has basically made a, a living just destroying zone coverage, right? You would think that he would know uh, what on the de- defensive side is going to give him problems, and it's the, more of these type of things. So you're hoping that that stuff comes, but yeah, I mean, it's kind of wait and see at this point, right? I think one other thing that maybe the team lucked into this game was playing defenders. Well, they lucked into it in one regard, but they actually, I think, made an active choice to play uh, younger players and play defenders at a position that felt just a little bit more natural to them. And so there's there's one basic premise here that we know from a few studies that PFF did this offseason, and that was that, uh, again, su- not a super simple or not a super complex concept, but when you take a college player and that college player does something incredibly well in college, there's a, an increased likelihood that they will continue to do that thing well when they get to the pros. It's not a guarantee, but there is an increased likelihood that that's going to happen. And, and I think that may have happened with DJ Reed at nickel. Now, nickel corner is not the same as boundary corner. And DJ Reed played boundary corner, right cornerback, pretty much exclusively in college. But he's been playing safety in the NFL, and he's been starting a few games at safety. But his postgame quote, I think, is, is really, really instructive because he said, quote, at nickel, it's just like cornering away. I'm guarding people so I know what to do. I'm shooting fast. I'm playing faster. So that's why I'm playing better at nickel. Granted, one game, small sample size, but he did play very well. And at least from his postgame quote, it seems that he just felt more comfortable because he had been used to playing in that regard or in, that sim- in a similar position when he was in college. So, I mean, he played a great game, seven high stops, or he had a game high, seven stops, a sack, quarterback hurry, uh, and earned an overall grade of 87.9. Um, not that K1 is necessarily a bad nickel, but he got injured. DJ Reed got his, uh, his, his shot. And now all of a sudden it's like, Hey, he might actually just be better at nickel than at safety. Definitely. And and I think that makes a ton of sense, right? Um, it's especially when you're playing more man coverage, right? Man coverage, you have to account for more routes uh, on the inside, right? Because you have that two way go from the slot receiver, uh, a little bit more easily. So it's just more that kind of is on your plate, I guess, from that position, um, but yeah, obviously what he says makes sense, right? It's just more, uh, you're, you're typically going to be focused on a specific defender or excuse me, a specific receiver, um, as opposed to when you're playing kind of that deep safety role, you know, you kind of have to, the, the vision is different, right? The picture that you're playing from is different at that position. And so it just, I think requires a little bit of a different skill set. and yeah, it, it absolutely makes sense to play guys in areas. I mean, this was one of the big things that was, kind of a question mark coming into the season. Remember all of these defenders that they took in this draft and it was all of them when you looked at their college tape. Yeah, it was, it it was uh, a lot of things to be excited about, but it was like, okay, the plan with every one of these guys is to move them to a different position than what they played in college. And it was like, we've seen it work out pretty well with Fred Warner. I think, you know, his transition I think has overall been really good and encouraging in the first year. Um, but it hasn't gone so well with maybe somebody like, uh, Tavarius Moore, right. Who we haven't seen a lot of, and, um, maybe, you know, it's making a lot of assumptions, but on a defense right now that hasn't been playing well, that's had a lot of injuries for him not to to still get kind of a, a decent chunk of snaps at this stage, um, I think indicates that maybe they're not really comfortable putting him out there yet. Right. That he hasn't made that kind of transition to a new position all that well, um, at least to start with. So, yeah, I, I think it's a little weird asking guys to do, uh, you know, things that were very different from what they uh, you know, what you liked when you watched them on tape in college, right? So DJ Reed, I think, is a very good example of getting something that's a little bit closer to what he was uh, doing naturally and, and being able to excel at it early on. 
I think another player that when I dug into, I was actually surprised that he was playing more of a natural position. That's Anton Exum Jr. He played free safety his junior year, 2011 at Virginia Tech, started all 14 games, 11 at free safety, three at Rover, uh, and had 89 tackles, 10 pass breakups, and one pick with five tackles for a loss. Also had one and a half sacks and two forced fumbles. He actually moved to corner the next year uh, and had a really good year at corner before tearing his ACL. Uh, And he played primarily free safety for Minnesota before he got injured in 2016. And then the Niners tried to make him more of a strong safety, I think. But now he plays at free safety, and he had a pretty damn good game. And I think that this is one of the more interesting developments because free safety is a complete mystery right now. I mean, it's an absolute clusterfuck. Jimmy Ward's not going to come back. Uh, Adrian Colbert is... You know, I mean, he's basically like Two-Face, right? You don't know which one you're going to get. You don't know if you're going to get rookie Adrian Colbert. You don't know if you're going to get 2018 Adrian Colbert. There's And DJ Reed may be better at slot. There's no one really that can play free safety. And if Anton Exum can be that guy, if he can kind of channel the success that he had as a junior at Virginia Tech, because that's what he played in college, and now he's getting to do some of that in the pros, I mean, hell, I think you got to try it. I mean... I think you got to try it should be the team motto over the final three games, right? Like that uh, is really where they're at. Uh, you know, I, you can understand them not wanting to uh, effectively throw in the towel, you know, earlier in the season um, when you're still, you know, wanting to compete and you're not really ready to give in to the fact that you're not going to be a playoff team and all of those things, right? That makes sense internally that that's not the message you want to send to your team. Right now, it's over, right? Like, the, there's no chance of them doing anything after the season. Like, they're not getting in the postseason. That much is final. Like, right now, you need to be, especially as banged up as you are, you need to be trying to figure out what you're getting from some of these young players, right, that haven't seen a lot of time. And we've seen them. I mean, Shanahan admitted as much. We saw, you know, guys like DJ Reed get out there. Uh, guys like the uh, DJ, DJ Jones. Jones uh, or the other All initials. the DJs. Yeah. Um, and, DJ 2J. And so I think, yeah, that's got to be what your goal is over. The, like, I would really like to see Tavarius Moore uh, get a chance to to get out there. And even if he's terrible, right, you just got to you got to give him some game action. Let him try to figure it out. See what you have there. Um, see if you maybe need to. Maybe he is terrible. And, and that tells you that you need to abandon this idea that he's going to transition to an outside cornerback and maybe play him. It's something that's a little bit more natural. I think, uh, you know, for him what I would have thought coming out is a role that's maybe a little bit more similar to what we're seeing guys like Derwin James and Jamal Adams do, right? Uh, you know, where you're maybe playing some more man coverage and manning up on some of the interior guys like tight ends and things like that, but you're used in this kind of variety of ways. Uh, and I think he has kind of, he showed the versatility in college to do that kind of stuff. Maybe you need to figure out that like, okay, that's his future now. Like outside cornerback just isn't going to work from him. We need to look elsewhere there this offseason. But that's what we need to figure out in these final three games. Yeah, I, I, I think the, the, the idea of talent acquisition is one I want to spend a bit of time on on today's episode, mostly because talent is the glaring problem with the 49ers. And talent, unfortunately, is not gained overnight. And I think that you know when, when the Bears did what they did against the the Los Angeles Rams, I thought to myself, wow, holy hell, like they held the, the Rams without a touchdown for the first time in the Sean McVay era. And of course, Vic Fangio is someone that Niner fans lust after because he was the defensive coordinator. He was a very, very good defensive coordinator. I think he's probably one of the best defensive coordinators in the league. And he had, of course, the, the probably the Niners' best defense since, what, maybe like 98, 95? Oh, yeah. I mean, those those uh, early Harbaugh era defenses were some of the best that they've had yeah. ever. I mean, yeah. 
So I think it, it's and, and we think that, you know, I, I think there may be a misconception that Vic Fangio's defenses have always been good or that they like immediately turned that defense around. So I thought it would be really interesting to see how the Bears built that defense, because currently they have nine players ranked among pro football Focus's top 25 defenders at their position. And, and Fangio didn't just scheme these players into existence. It's not like he's taking a bunch of scrubs and he's making them through some kind of cover two pattern match amazing players. Because when he got there in, in 2015, right, the, 2014, the Bears defense was not stellar. They were the 21st graded defense based on overall pro football focus grade in 2014. Based on defensive DVOA, they were 28th. Now, the only player on that team that's in this top nine was Kyle Fuller. He was already a bear, and he was considered a bust after his rookie year because he had just an abysmal rookie year. I mean, he had like an Akella Witherspoon, currently bad kind of rookie year. Oh, worse. I yeah, think, yeah, grade was, like in the 40s. I mean, it was rough, bad. Yeah. It was really, really bad. So Fangio gets there, and that offseason, in 2015, the team adds defensive tackle Eddie Goldman. They drafted him in the second round. Safety Adrian Amos. They drafted him in the fifth round. And Bryce Callahan, a cornerback. He was an undrafted free agent. At their respective positions now, those players are 17th, 23rd, and 11th. And then in 2015, though, their defense didn't actually get any better. It was 31st in DVOA, so it actually took a slight step back. So Fangio wasn't a cure-all. Even though they added some talented players, they weren't fantastic right away, and the defense takes a step back. Now you go to 2016. They add Akeem Hicks as a free agent. He is now the fourth highest graded player at, at the defensive tackle spot. But he was once traded for Michael Humanawanui. Who man? Who man? What up? A tight end who, if I, I literally spent 30 seconds practicing this dude's name, which and is I, hilarious. Not the, that you're practicing his name. Uh, hilarious that that trade, like Hicks is a stud now. Uh, legit one of like maybe him and uh, Damon Harrison are probably the two single best run defenders, uh, defensive linemen in the, the NFL. And I think that's the kind of signing, that kind of veteran bargain bin signing that turns into a player that ends up being productive is exactly the kind of player that you want to target in free agency. And I think the kind of signing that you need in order to take a defense from being a bottom feeder in the NFL, like the Bears were before and during Vic Fangio's first couple of years, to being a very, very good defense. Because then you have more of a mid-tier signing, and that's Danny Trevathan. They also added him in 2016. He was a free agent. He was uh, the Bears version of our Malcolm Smith. Uh, because he knew John Fox in Denver, and he comes over as a known quantity. You know, I guess, hey, if you're going to call your shot, you want to call Danny Trevathan and not Malcolm Smith. <laughs> God, Malcolm Smith, what a mistake. But then Who could it, have possibly seen that coming? No one, no one, no one Impossible. on the show. No one on no. the show. Uh, and then in 2017, you've got Eddie Jackson. He was drafted in the fourth round. Uh, he played well, but not spectacularly last year. He is now the first great, the first graded, the first highest graded safety. He's the best safety in the league based on pro football focuses charting. And Prince of Mukamara, he was a free agent in 2017. He is the top, he's a top 10 cornerback. Another one of those free agent signings that was kind of a value signing that actually we targeted as a free agent option for the 49ers. Yeah. Uh, and and yeah. now he's doing exactly what we thought he would do just for the Chicago Bears. And then finally in 2018, they uncorked everything by adding Khalil Mack. So over the course of four years, the, the Bears added, well, three years, the Bears added players at every level both in the draft early and late, as well as bargain and value free agent signings that all weren't great right away, especially Kyle Fuller, who they were even considering not giving the fifth year option to because last year was his first and only good year of his short career. 
So uh, the, the point in all this is to say is that these defenses are not created overnight. And even the best defensive coordinators in football with fantastic schemes that are now shutting down one of the two best offenses in football don't just materialize overnight. And it's not just adding a scheme that's going to all of a sudden uncork the defense or adding one or two talented players is all of a sudden going to uncork it. This thing is kind of percolating and stewing over the course of years to get to the place that it is now. So that's why for me, the defense for the 49ers is like, yeah, there's definitely some deficiencies there, but I don't think that the Niners need to rush to fire Sala. I do think they do need some talent. I don't think that if Sala were to have an amazing, like just we were to grant him a much better scheme that the defense would play much better because this is, I think, the way the NFL and, and I think the Bears are a perfect example as to why you should have maybe a little bit of patience with someone like Sala. Definitely. And I think it's important to point out, right, that this none of this is to diminish what Vic Fangio is as a defensive coordinator or anything like that, right? Like, I think everybody agrees that he's very good and one of the best in the NFL, but defensive football is a lot more about the players. I think, you know, there's only so much that you can do schematically. Uh, and it comes down to, do you have the players who can match up with these offenses? Right. And, and defenses some t- are inherently reacting to what the offense is doing. Yeah. Even the best defenses, right. Pattern match defenses. They are matching the patterns that the offense is throwing out of them. Like it's in the name. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and so I think, yeah, right now it's, it's very tough to judge what Saul is doing because, they didn't have a ton of talent to begin with, you know, at least uh, stuff that's proven. You know, I, I know there's a lot of players that people were high on going into the year. Akella Witherspoon's a great example. Um, there was probably nobody higher on him than, than I was going into this year. Uh, and he's just kind of not been that player. Right. And then that's kind of the thing that we've tried to hit on, I think for the past few seasons, really, because we've had a lot of defensive draft picks recently. And, and it's important to say like, Hey, we don't know a lot about these guys yet, right? You're that you're not projecting like all pros forward, right? The only ones that we were really comfortable with is like, okay, we know what we're going to get from Buckner, pretty much. Uh, we thought we knew what we were going to get from Reuben Foster before well, to that be whole fair, situation. Uh, to be fair, we, I guess we did get exactly yeah. <laughs> what we what we should have thought that we were going to get from Reuben Foster, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. So it, it, it's. Uh, it's been a situation where, you know, you're you're wanting guys, uh, you're, you're starting with a really young group of players defensively that uh, need time to kind of figure things out that haven't been uh, coming and established themselves as top end players that you can expect, you know, this kind of production from week in, week out. Like there's a lot to figure out there and there's a lot that they need to do. I think, you know, this isn't the, necessarily the time for this conversation, but you know, this offseason, I think there's an opportunity for them to be more aggressive than they have been uh, in getting some of those players in uh, than than over the past couple seasons. But yeah, right now, it's just I think it's too early to jump to conclusions. I think there's there's things again, and we've mentioned them uh, on. I'm sure you mentioned them a bunch, like just the times that I've been on here, we've mentioned them several times. Like there are things that are worth questioning about Saul's approach so far this season. Um, but I do think it's, it's probably too early to pull the plug and, and say that he's a failure as a coordinator. So let's get to the spotlight players for the game, because there are a couple, one on defense, one on offense, uh, one that I think we're going to make an official spotlight player whenever David Newman returns to the show, because I Damn think right. the last time you guest spotted, uh, George Kittle was also a spotlight player, but let's check out. So let's do uh, George Kittle first because that's the obvious one, uh, and, and then we'll get to the second spotlight player. So I mean, uh, Kittle was was excellent, right? Uh, so what we'll do, rather than I think uh, focus on this specific game because we kind of talked about it a little bit um, already, 
right now, just looking at his kind of season as a whole, is something that I uh, sent you a text about on Monday, I think it was. Um, so right now, his season is, is really shaping up to be one of the better tight end seasons that we've seen in the PFF era. So since 2006, since we've been doing this and collecting this information, um, right now, already with three games to go, he has beat the record for the most yards after the catch by a tight end, has 710, um, has topped the best season for yards after contact by a tight end, uh, 299. He has the highest yards per route run, which uh, is really a great, like one of our best just receiving stats uh, in terms of looking at efficiency and what you're doing when you're going out into the route, right? Are you making the most of those opportunities? Um, He is well ahead. So just to kind of like set uh, some context here, Gronk has basically been the standard bearer for tight ends, you know, in, in that stat for his entire career. He has like all of the highest seasons. His top season is 2.41. Kittle is like nearly a half yard ahead of that right now. Um, he has the highest average yards after the catch um, per reception, basically. So he's averaging nearly 10 yards after the catch each time he makes a reception, uh, which is a 1.3 yards higher than anybody else. Like he is so far ahead of basically every other tight end. And right now, really for this season, it's really him and Travis Kelsey uh, are, have been by far the two best uh, tight ends in football this season. And so I think just, yeah, what he's been doing and what has otherwise been a mostly lost season, right? Not getting to play with your top quarterback, still managing to produce uh, the, the kind of mind boggling numbers that he's been putting up uh, with the quarterback play that he's had is, is really, I think pretty impressive. And he's already surpassed a thousand yards, which is the first time a 49ers player has surpassed a thousand yards since Anquan Bolden in 2014. And Anquan Bolden, like, just nudged over 1,000 yards at 1,062. Yeah. I'm uh, going to say this makes sense. So our breakout players before the season, we did offense and defense. Mine on defense was Witherspoon, which obviously was, uh, was not correct. Mine on offense, though, was George Kittle. Yeah. And so I think that that all evens out. I'm, I'm happy with that. I forget exactly who I had on offense. I think it, it was... You had Mc- McKinnon, but it, yeah, that yeah. ended early. Yeah, exactly. Um, and, and I went with McKinnon mostly because you already stole George Kittle because I knew you were latching onto that like just a <laughs> newborn baby to a teat. Uh, and so I knew I had to had, give that had one to you. to make it weird. I had, always. That's, that's what we do here. We mispronounce names. We make shit weird. That's fair. Put, put that on a t-shirt. <laughs> Uh, so my spotlight player though is going to be one Mr. DJ Jones the other DJ Uh, he was excellent as a nose tackle and was a big reason that Philip Lindsay couldn't get going on the ground he he has incredibly fast feet and he continued to display his power he did not get moved off of his spot at all during the game he didn't have one negatively graded play all game and there was one play which was just ridiculous where he, he executed a spin move along the interior of the line to disengage from a block, track Philip Lindsay, and then make the tackle. I mean, at this point, we, we said it weeks ago, there is no reason why Earl Mitchell should be getting a single snap unless there is an injury across the front of, uh, of that uh, across that front. And I think DJ Jones's play in this game it is the nail in Mitchell's coffin. And of course, after this game now, you're hearing like he might get cut and Garcon might be another thing. Like, he's gone. And Earl Mitchell, it was nice having you. I'm we're going to miss our third best safety. We are. Uh, I will craft a eulogy that is befitting your bowling ball exterior. But until then, my friend, adios.
I mean, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna miss him at all. <laughs> Wish him the best. You know, I'm sure he's like a great human. But I hope, I hope every player moves on and makes just bajillions of dollars. And I hope Jerry Jones pays him forty million dollars over three years. Yeah, let's uh, do it. Uh, who what, Tampa Bay drafted a nose tackle at Vita like twelfth overall? Like maybe they'll give him some money. Yeah, they got to get a backup for Vita Vea. Yeah, that absolutely. Yep. Uh, all right, so that does it for the game recap and the spotlight player. Let's get to the draft pick update. I wish we had like a like a news ticker drop, but we're too lazy for that. Boop, 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 and, boop. and we're about halfway through this uh, this Hayes beer, so uh, definitely not doing drops at this point. Uh, but the 49ers still own the first overall pick. They're currently tied with Arizona and Oakland based on the record, all three and ten. The first tiebreaker is, of course, strength of schedule. The 49ers are at dot five two nine, Cardinals five two nine, Raiders five six seven. <laughs> they beat Get the hell out of here Raiders. They beat the Steelers like a bunch of idiots. Uh, the next tiebreaker is divisional record. The 49ers 0 and 4, Cardinals 2 and 2. Of course, we know who those two wins are. It would be the <laughs> Niners. What up? So, if the 49ers and the Cardinals end up with the same strength of schedule, unless the 49ers win tomorrow and beat the Rams, we're effectively guaranteed having that second tiebreaker over the Cardinals. The problem is, if everyone loses out, what the hell happens to the strength of schedule? Uh, and that's going to be my project over the next week, is putting this all into a spreadsheet and figuring out what happens if everyone loses. Yeah, those are the type of things. I just wait for other people to do that work. <laughs> um, I'm not, not about... Yeah, I, I mean, obviously, if they can... Like, having Arizona... Because I think if you had, you know, looking at those three teams, right, it's it's pretty much down to those three. It seems uh, incredibly likely that one of those three is going to end up with the number one pick. Um, if you had Oakland get it, I don't think it would be the worst thing in the world. If you're like in two, Oakland one, right? Because I, I think that Gruden's going to be looking for a quarterback. Um, and, and, you know, you can make, obviously, they uh, could use an edge rusher as well because they, they got rid of Khalil yeah, Mack. traded one. Um, but I, I do think that, like, quarterback is probably where he would look. I, I don't think that he's uh, particularly fond of Derek Carr, and, and I think they, they really could use to move on to a different player. So that, I, to me, I would feel a little bit better being in two behind the Raiders. Uh, the Cardinals aren't going to draft. They just drafted their quarterback. Um, and so, yeah, you got to feel pretty sure that they would be looking uh, strongly at Bosa, number one overall, and, and prevent him from getting to the 49ers. So I think that would be a bummer. All right, Newman, while I have you, the season plays out as we wish. It is the first overall pick. Of course, Nick Bosa is... Can I the, submit the card now? Uh, unless a team approaches you for a trade. Uh, and that team is the Jacksonville Jaguars. Uh, or somewhere in that 7-8-9 area. Because I think the Giants, the Jags, uh, and someone else are going to be in that 7-8-9 area. They're looking for a quarterback. They fell in love with Herbert. They don't think he's too tall. Or they love Will Greer. They're like another air raid quarterback that we can turn into something like a Jared Goff. And they offer you a trade package that you can't refuse. What is your threshold for giving up that first overall pick and going down to somewhere in the 7-8-9 range? Oh, I think, I mean, if you look at the package of picks that teams have gotten recently. Yeah, it's usually like like two firsts, maybe two seconds, and something else. Yeah, so I think the, the important thing to keep in mind is Yes, you want to have that that great edge rusher, right? Like, um, and this is, I think, true of most positions. We talk about with the draft, there's a lot of risk involved and there's a lot of things that we don't know. 
But the reality is that the higher that you're taking that player, the higher the likelihood that that player is going to pan out. That's kind of the way that it works um, with with most positions there. And that's, I think, especially true of edge rusher and quarterback seem to be skew even more that direction. So uh, certainly understand like wanting to just, you know, we're going to stay here. We're going to draft Bosa uh, because we feel like that's the biggest need and that's he's the best player there. Whatever. Blah, blah. I mean, this team is at a position where they need many, many players. Do you take the trade, David? Do you take the trade? I probably take the trade. Good. Yeah. I'm not going to fight you. I think, um, yeah, I, I understand wanting to have Bosa if you're there. But, I mean, again, they, they are too many players away. Um, they they need all of the help they can get. If this were, I think if this were last year's draft class and you were looking at just a lack of edge rusher talent, I, I would lean maybe more toward... I mean, there's there's an argument either way. We had this discussion this, this past off. Yeah, which I'm not there yet. So, I mean, we're just kind of transitioning now, college football regular season over, Bro, transitioning I've been there for three weeks. This is a good edge rusher class. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So we're getting there. I think there's, there's some guys... Uh, it definitely looks... I mean, last year it was basically... Landry and Chubb and no one else, right? Uh, were the only two players even even worth considering high. Um, this year, yeah, seem, there, there, there seems to be some other guys. I mean, I think Bosa, Bosa's been uh, just incredible during yep. his time there. I mean, he's, he's graded excellently for us. Um, that's one of the better areas, you know, that we've shown so far that, that uh, transitions from our college grades, transitioning to NFL grades and, and having those players pan out. Uh, a lot of encouraging early signs there with pass rushers, especially. So, yeah, I think, um, you know, would love to, to add him. But if you're getting multiple first round picks, multiple day one, day two picks that you can use to kind of bolster this team. Take it. Um, that's the type of trade. Yeah, that, that can really change your franchise. I agree. All right. Before we get to the Seattle preview, we're going to play a little game called Call Your Shot. We are not going to have a bunch of shots of tequila and bourbon, although I considered it. Every time you got something wrong, uh, there is no right or wrong answer here, actually. So that game probably wouldn't have worked. But, of course, you saw the Mike Shanahan mic'd up. And in that... The who Shanahan? Uh, sorry, Kyle Shanahan there you mic'd go. up. Uh, the mic and the mic, it, it confuses me, okay? Again, 8.2%. That's about how far am I in. Uh, so uh, they, they had the mic'd up uh, series, and he was... They, they had a lot of his like kind of formation play calls. They had eight of them, to be exact. So we're going to play a little game. I'm going to read off the, the call from the sheet that was on the mic'd up segment. And you, Mr. Newman, are going to tell me either what that actually is, if you know. And if you don't know, you're going to make something up. What your best guess is as to what oh, that thing is. All right? Oh, so God. here we go. In order. It's going to be tough. Number one, far right nasty. That's a formation. Yeah. Uh, do you know exactly what that formation is or what it pertains to? Uh, far right. So I mean, far refers to which I think is is still what Shanahan's using. Far uh, is a two back set where basically the fullback is away from the tight end, far away from. Nasty refers to split of the wide receivers. Yep. So Reduce split end, usually split. with a tight end. Yep. Big fly uh, is a motion. Yep. You're flying the big. It's, yeah, sure. It's a, it's a tight yeah. End. I don't know exactly what well, which motion, but it is a motion. Yep. Yeah. Uh, turbo. Turbo. I don't know. Um. I would guess that maybe that's a motion too. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and guess that it is uh, referring to Turbino Sugar, uh, and and so you know it just it's it's to keep things going, you know, because Turbo wasn't clear enough. They also needed to relate it to Turbino Sugar. Yeah, uh, maybe it's a maybe it's coffee. a pace thing. Maybe it's yeah. not even a play call necessarily. Yeah. Maybe it's just uh, yeah. Uh, all right, number four, Zelda. 
I have no clue. I'm going to no guess clue. the yeah. complete guess. Yeah. Uh, dagger. Because of the Zelda sword. I can see Again, that. we're yeah, making shit up sure. at this point. I'm not good at making stuff up. Yeah, right. you're going to be much better at this uh, game. 14 Diablo. I feel like with the 14 in there, four, like numbers, uh, West Coast are usually protection. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but I don't know that Diablo makes sense. And clearly, he's referring to a video game. I need, yeah, I, I need, uh, though I did love Fuchs' re- uh, mention, like in the article that he talked about on Niners Nation with some of these calls, uh, how he was just going to assume that that was a reference to El Diablo from Talladega Nights. Love that. Yeah, yeah this is good. where our childhood slash adolescence diverged because I was like, oh, video game, duh. Uh, and you were like, oh, movie, duh. I was like, yeah, didn't, nope, nope. Difference. <laughs> Difference between you and I, my friend. El Diablo. Uh, X-Dragon. Um, I mean, that seems like a route. It is. Uh, yeah. I think it might even be uh, like a curl flat uh, or a slant flat. Drag and then something else. Sure. Uh, a charger. Charger sounds like a concept. Yeah. Uh, and then usually they, they put them in the playbook in terms of concepts and whatnot. But I don't know what that one is. I just yeah. learned, by the way, thanks to you, yeah, that what we refer to as Yankee and have for a long time because of Matt Bowen's write-up about Shanahan. It's kind of like the generic name for it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, is actually in the 49ers or Shanahan playbook called uh, Blazer. Yeah. So uh, I, I think um, people have kind of uh, learned that the who we use like i feel like uh ted Wynn called it this too like the julio route like it was in it when they were in atlanta uh julio jones just destroyed people it's that kind of like fake the post basically but break out and it's kind of like a it's comebackish in the middle of the field uh effectively but yeah it, it so that ted Wynn learned um was the blaze out we asked the 49ers receiver coach and they said yeah they call it a blaze out and yeah that the reason it's a blaze out is because it plays off their blazer concept which is the the yankee the post deep cross all right and lastly uh, i hope you saved your best for last because this is the chocolate door what the hell does the chocolate door mean i am most curious about chocolate door this one is the one that i need the answer to the most if anybody has (laughs) the answer out there if you're like some secret spy playbook spy and you got those hookups yeah uh, let me know if you know what this is or have any good guesses and i'm talking about like some real good better rivals guesses chocolate chocolate door uh send them my way tweet them to at better rivals or you think uh, it's maybe like a though i don't think they ran anything like i was gonna think maybe a trick di- uh trick play like a were a, you about to say a, trick dick <laughs> well i was thinking back door <laughs> the the chocolate door dick. no uh, i honestly it could be two things it could be chocolate as one thing and door as a second thing um honestly i thought of the, this formation and the rams run it too where you have the tight end split a little farther out in a reduced split, but there's a gap between the tackle and the tight end, and a wide receiver or back lines up in that little gap. <laughs> Honestly, that's the only thing I could think of, is that that's uh, the chocolate door. <laughs> <laughs> I, don't, I, uh, I, yeah, I don't think it's a formation. Uh, hey, I think it's definitely more, more play college, and I'm going to lean more toward some sort of like trick or, or gadget play. Yeah, we'll see. But if you know the answer or if you just have a really, really good guess for what Chocolate Door means in Kyle Shanahan's playbook, definitely yeah. tweet at us because we would love to know. So let's get to the Seattle game. Uh, it is Seattle part due, Seattle Redux. And the first time, you know, it was not good for the 49ers. It, it was, uh, it did not end well, we'll say. Another in the long line. The 49ers, of, 2018 season. It was not good. Yeah, correct. But, Nick Mullins threw for 400, over 400 yards in Seattle. Dante Pettis. Is that true? Yeah. Dante Pettis 
had over 100 yards and a touchdown. Uh, and and the Niners, especially in the first quarter, uh, and really up until the very end of the first half, where the Seahawks were able to get kind of that that you know the Madden double dip, where you score at the end of the first half and then get the ball back again. Um, it, it really the, the the game didn't get broken open until about that point, and then Bobby Wagner did Bobby Wagner things. So my question, or really the first thing that I think is gonna that the game is gonna come down to is really whether or not the 49ers can stop the long ball, because on throws 20 or more yards down the field. Against the 49ers in game one, Wilson was three for four for 115 yards and two touchdowns. Seattle attacked Malcolm Smith in the interior of the 49ers cover three uh, from really from bunch formations and crossers specifically that really made the coverage rules of the, you know, the 49ers cover three kind of break down. But now the 49ers are playing Elijah, Elijah Lee at will, and they're bringing a bit more athleticism in the position. Marcel Harris has more snaps under his belt. Maybe he's not going to be as eager to bite on play actions. Uh, as was the case that cost them uh, you know, kind of a blown coverage on uh, the first long play uh, in Seattle. So really, I think if the Niners can stop the long ball, and Wilson's just also ridiculous at the long ball, they have a shot. Uh, and so, Anton Exum, I'm looking at you. I mean, that's, uh, yeah, I think, I think uh, rough. I mean, it's always going to be a big thing, right? Especially, uh, I do think, yeah, with Russell Wilson, um, he's one of the best quarterbacks uh, at throwing the deep ball. Um, just has had a lot of success there as one of our highest graded uh, deep ball throwers this season. So, yeah, I mean, that's definitely uh, going to be a big thing, especially, you know, looking at the back end of this defense. Again, they've had a lot of communication breakdowns and the chocolate door of the defense, uh, if you will. The, the chocolate door has been wide open for the defense, uh, wide open, like anybody come one, come all through this chocolate door. Uh, and Jesus and yeah, it, I mean, it hasn't been great. So I think, yeah, if you can, um, I think limit those explosive plays, right. That's always a big thing because I do think, you know, from a run game standpoint, a lot of what Seattle's been doing, and they made a big deal about this on the broadcast because uh, it turns out Monday night football, uh, group really loves them. Some run game. Holy shit. Um, but a lot of it's been running back driven, actually. Like, so their offensive line has been, you know, I, I guess better for Seattle standards, but it's not good. And, and from a run blocking standpoint, especially, they've still been pretty bad this season. So I think if the 49ers defense can can still continue to do what they've done, which isn't great, but but it's solid from a run defense standpoint, um, I think they can kind of limit the production there. And, and so then you start looking at, can we limit these shot plays and kind of make Wilson have to, you know, just kind of move the ball slowly down the field, which I don't think he's really a big fan of, of wanting to do. He wants to take some of those shot plays there. So, uh, yeah, I think if you can just not screw up and have some of the busts that they've had on the back end, uh, that's going to go a long way. Yeah, and so I think that overall the Niners are going to need to rely on that defense to help limit the Seahawks and what they do well and what Russell Wilson wants to do. And I also think on the flip side, the 49ers are going to need to have some explosive plays. I, Pettis, of course, had a breakout game against Seattle, but now the complexion of the wide receiver core is a little bit different. Goodwin's back, but he's playing the the Z receiver while the team is wanting to get an extended look at Pettis at the X receiver. And so the first question I've got for you, David, is what is the difference between the two? Because it's, you know, they're, they maybe they're an anachronism, but they're an anachronism at least that in Shanahan's offense uh, at least seems to matter a bit. Yeah, I think it's it's definitely something that doesn't matter as much now as it as it probably used to. Um, when you think of like 
going back to I don't know Bill Walsh days, right? Like it, it's definitely like not Jerry the same Rice. Thing. It, it mattered more yeah. for Jerry Rice and John Taylor than it does now. Yeah, I think now you're seeing you know teams with the number of packages and stuff that they have, where guys move around a good amount. But generally speaking, your X receiver um, is aligns away from the tight end, um, so he's typically going to be on the line of scrimmage. Um, he gets a little bit more isolation routes because of that. So usually the side of the tight end, you know, becomes the passing strength because you have more receivers, eligible receivers over to that side of the field. The X receiver goes to the opposite side, tends to see, you know, maybe more one-on-one coverage or something like that. Right. So you're looking historically, you've had like big receivers that can kind of stretch the field vertically that can win those one-on-one matchups. That's kind of your, your big physical win at the line of scrimmage X receiver, right. Has been what you've had. This is where Julio Jones would live. Yeah, and so the Z receiver then um, and goes with the tight end, right? They go uh, to the tight end side. They line up because the tight end, you know, if you think of, and again, a lot of this stuff doesn't always play in because it used, you're, you're talking about formations where you used to have your basic like I formation, right? And it was the tight end on the line of scrimmage, the Z receiver to his side off the ball, the X receiver to the opposite side on the ball, and that was just kind of like the base formation that you lived in. Um, things are a little bit different now, but that's still kind of generally speaking, the Z is going to go with the tight end going to be over to the passing strength lineup, usually off the line of scrimmage. So that gives him a little bit better, um, release, right? So he's, he doesn't have a guy really up in his business at the line of scrimmage. Um, you'll see that guy go in motion a little bit more often and, and kind of, you can move him around and do different things. Um, so that's kind of the, the general difference between the two. And if you think about what the two players, Goodwin and Pettis, do well currently, I think it makes sense to have Pettis at the X receiver because he is his skill right now. The one that translated from college was his ability to get a clean release off the line and make cornerbacks look stupid on his release. We saw it on his touchdown in Seattle. We saw it again on his touchdown in Denver. This is exactly why we thought he would be a red zone threat early. Because he has a ridiculous release. And if he's going to be on the line of scrimmage, he's going to have to be able to prove that he can beat press coverage. And so far, he's proven that he can do that. Now, of course, he's bigger than Marquise Goodwin. Uh, and, and Marquise Goodwin, of course, was good at being the X receiver because he does have the speed to go one-on-one and beat that corner outside the numbers. But that's where they want to have, I think, eventually Dante Pettis. I, I do think Shanahan drafted Pettis to be his primary X receiver, his version of Julio Jones, if you will. Uh, and so I think that now if you have Goodwin at the Z, you're going to see him more in motion, which I think is great because you can have him on jet or fly motions quite a bit more. Uh, and you can do all manner of things with moving Goodwin around, keeping Pettis there. Uh, it, it may not be as important as it once was, but it clearly is enough such. It, it is of enough importance in Shanahan's offense that he is specifically being distinctive about those two roles and specifically wanting to see Pettis in one role and then kind of relegating Goodwin and Bourne to the other. Definitely. And, and I think um, with Pettis especially, right, and this is something that he's kind of done throughout the season, and I think Shanahan alluded to this at some point, but what we thought kind of going in is, is he could theoretically play just about any of the positions in this offense, right? He could, he could line up because of his skill set and being versatile enough, and, and you had some skills that you could see even line up in the slot. Um, you know, obviously he's got with the the open field ability and the punt returns and stuff like that, people thought that he would be good uh, maybe at Z where he can move him around a little bit and kind of do some different things with them. And then, yeah, I think, you know, what he does from a release standpoint, a route running standpoint, being able to create separation, uh, I think is is very good. So, yeah, again, 
these last three weeks figuring out what you've got, right? And, and I think it makes sense to put a heavier load on a young receiver like Dante Pettis and and kind of allow him some time to figure things out when the stakes aren't very high and, and yeah. get kind of some of these reps and uh, absolutely something that makes sense for these these last few games. Yeah, and I think if the Niners screw up their draft position this weekend, it will be because they can hit a couple of big plays. The 49ers are eighth in big play rate, and the 49ers, or I'm sorry, and the Seahawks are 23rd in big play rate allowed. Uh, so the Seahawks are vulnerable. They're not Their defense overall, I think, is, is rated very well. But you look at their individual pieces, and Trey Flowers and Shaquille Griffin have not been fantastic this year. Um, of course, you are strong in the middle, with those linebackers and, and I think Bobby Wagner is easily the best linebacker in football right now and, and so I think that if you're going to get a couple of big plays and force Russell Wilson to dink and dunk down the field I think that's where this starts to tilt and eventually you know you, you get the Niners in a close game even if it's a game I think that they eventually lose yeah I think the the if on on limiting big plays is a pretty big if I mean uh yeah it's what they do really well and Tyler Lockett is really really good at beating everyone deep and the 49ers have been really bad at preventing those things. So when you look at, at targets of 20 yards or more in the air, the 49ers as a team have the second lowest coverage grade um, that, that we had this season. So it, it hasn't uh, certainly been a strong point for the secondary to be able to limit those Jimmy plays. Ward's forearm isn't even grown halfway back. Jesus. I'm sorry, man. I'm, that's, <laughs> that's, what I'm, that's what I do. Um, yeah, so I, I think, you know, that's what you need to do. Whether you can execute on that uh, is, is kind of another story. So I think it's going to be um, it's going to be tough. I mean, hopefully, you know, maybe Sherman's ready to go uh, because he's facing his old team again and all that stuff, blah, blah, blah. I don't really buy into that. Like right now, their corners aren't good. And uh, yeah, uh, their, I think their safeties are week to week and probably not good either. Um, I think Russell Wilson is too good a quarterback to be shut out and or limited too much of the thing he does really well. Um, like Russell yeah. Wilson is one of the three or four elite quarterbacks in the NFL. He just is. And it sucks. But he is. And, and so I think it would be very difficult for the 49ers to do that. The only way they would is, I think, if they have or are able to generate a ton of pressure. And I don't know that the changes along the defensive line are such that they are going to be able to generate a bunch of pressure. I think they're probably going to start DJ Jones again. And that's great, but DJ Jones is going to help limit their run game, not necessarily be an effective pass rusher. Outside of that, it's going to be a lot more of the same. And, and that, didn't get a, a, that didn't generate a ton of pressure, I think, the first game in Seattle. I think the, the Niners will probably be boosted a bit more because they're playing at home. So it probably won't be a huge blowout, but this is still a team that is going to have to overcome a lot to, to beat their, their division nemesis. Definitely. Yeah, I think, you know, you're... Seattle, um, while maybe not as talented and dominant as they were kind of, you know, a few years ago, is still uh, a much better team than San Francisco right now. They're a more talented team than they are. Um, and yeah, I think even playing at home, this is still a game that they are unlikely to win. All right. So what's the spread? I think I've got uh, Green Line pulled up here. Uh, the last uh, I saw was like four and a half. Five and a half. Um, Oh, so, no, the market's yeah, a four, four and a half. Four and a half um, is, is kind of where the, the market is right now. Which makes um, sense because, I mean, it's basically a score. If you think you get three points for being at home, right. that's effectively a touchdown. Um, that makes sense to me. Yeah, and I, and I do think, again, um, just from a, a, a coaching standpoint, I think Shanahan, you know, this offense is still, they're not great right now, but they're not terrible, right? Shanahan is getting as much as he can out of this offense. Um, I do think that George Kittle right now is a problem for any defense, right? Like there, there's just 
people are going to struggle to match up with him. Um, it's they they're going to do something offensively, right? It may not be great. They're not going to like necessarily put up 30 points, but they're not going to get shut out, right? They're going to be able to to kind of hold their own. And the last game, if you think of like the defense, if you think of Shanahan versus Carroll, I think Shanahan definitely held his own against Carroll's defense. If you take away the pick six, I think overall you're thinking, okay, that's, that's not terrible. I mean, Nick Mullins did have over 400 yards passing, right? It's a defense that, they're running the same defense. You should yeah. know how to attack it, right? That's exactly um, right. I think the the tilt was Brian Schottenheimer out coaching Robert Sala, and and that was I think what tilted the first game. If Sala can somehow adjust to that and kind of get back to holding the the, the Seattle Seahawks to something more reasonable, then I think that's when the game becomes competitive. Uh, because right now it is def- it was at least in game one it advantage Schottenheimer. Um, which is not something I would thought I would say with Seattle in 2018, but hey, whatever. Um, and, and so, yeah, so I think that he definitely picked apart a couple of the the coverages for the Niners, and, and so we'll we'll see what the hell happens in this game. But uh, so official predictions, I think, from both of us is that uh, the Seahawks cover and, and win. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I think it's uh, anything other than that would be a surprise for sure. Yep, I agree. Uh, all right, well, that does it for this week's episode of the Better Rivals podcast. Uh, David, it was good having you back. It's like it's fun. Uh, always fun. It's like uh, riding a bicycle, I guess. Uh, it or- is, yeah. It wasn't, uh, wasn't too bad getting back into the swing of things. Always like a little, I'm like, man, it's been a few weeks. Can, can I even complete sentences in front of a microphone? Anymore? Walking but- right through that chocolate door with ease. Chocolate just door. Strutting. Wide just open. Wide <laughs> now I'm going to go listen to Chocolate Rain on YouTube. Um, Are you, you can- going to listen to that? Uh, yeah, that kid. Yeah, don't know what his name is, but he does sing Chocolate Rain. Yeah. Uh, you can always follow me at Better Rivals. David, where can they follow you? Follow me at PFF underscore David. I believe Jared is going to be over his version of the bubonic plague this week, so he should be back next week. Uh, our scheduling for the holiday season is going to be a little weird, but I don't think we're going to be a, we're going to miss uh, an episode because I think uh, I'll still be in town for the Christmas vacation. So I think we'll be good from here to the end of the year, and then once the off season kicks in. It is going to be full draft eval mode. So uh, we're almost there, folks. Almost there. Just a couple games of draft position before we figure everything out. Don't so, screw it up now. Oh, That's man. all I'm saying. I'm worried about that last uh, Rams game. I just hope that the... Uh, yeah, hopefully... I mean, they're probably not going to have anything to play for. I know. That's... I'm. Yeah. Then, well, hold on. We can hope. We can hope. Not ready to crush that dream yet. Yep. Uh, all right. Well, thanks for tuning in, everyone. And as always, go Niners. I'm Spencer Hall from SB Nation, and I want to tell you about my new show, It Seems Smart. It Seems Smart is a show about people doing things that, for some reason or another, seem smart at the time. Those things might include doing a little cocaine and driving a bike up a mountain, or, I don't know, maybe racing 100 miles per hour across the country in the middle of the night with no one's permission, or even stealing a bat from an umpire's room in a Major League Baseball park. Check it out, and if you like it, tell a friend. I'm Spencer Hall. Don't do anything smart.